sales is not a difficult job at all. And um, yes, it's not a difficult job at all. And it, you just need to know certain things, you know, um, certain processes, techniques, tactics, strategies, handling different products, solutions, or industries. And if you know customer psychology, and so long you have the right interest in educating and help people solve their biggest pain point, I don't see why don't somebody doesn't want to transact with you. Have you ever had a time in your career or throughout your CEO where any of these three aspects of your life or just who you are had an effect with the business? Has that ever been a problem? I wouldn't say that's a problem. You don't have to name uh, any yeah, names yeah, here, yeah. but just the situation. Yeah, I think a couple of scenarios I can give is Asian men uh, mm. always have that dominating characters. You, know, you mean the Chinese one, right? No, no. <laughs> Yo, what's going up everyone? Welcome to the latest or newest uh, edition to CEOs Confess Interviews. Today we've got Zenith who is the founder and CEO of APAC SMA. Uh, very happy to have you here Zenith. Um, first question I guess for everyone who has probably never seen you, met you with our you know, CEOs Confess. We try to find the unique people and their stories. So can you tell us more, who is Zenith and what is APAC SMA all about? So I'm a mother of four, for four kids and uh, that defines me uh, because everything I do around whatever I'm doing is, starts from there. And um, professionally, I'm the CEO of Asia Pacific Sales and Marketing Academy. Um, I've been in the world of sales and marketing, particularly in inside sales and virtual sales for the last two, 25 years. And Asia Pacific uh, Sales and Marketing Academy is shortly known as APEC SMA uh, by many. And uh, we are the leading authority uh, in a one-stop uh, e-university for sales. So we have sales certification and accreditations. Um, for professionals um, embarking on their sales career mm -hmm. and uh, across different functions of sales. Okay, so in essence, your business basically helps train other salespeople how to sell better. In and I'm sure there's probably a lot more categories under that, but right. in essence, like sales and marketing, right? How to do that better within a company? Right, it's about enablement, transformation, and education. Okay, yeah. awesome, awesome. So uh, my next question then, trying to figure out how did this all come about is what were like the major milestones in your life um, that led you up to coming up with APAC SMA? Um, so before you even discovered the name maybe, but like what were the key milestones in your life that kind of helped you get the experience and then come to this conclusion like this is something I want to do? Education? You know, your family background, like tell me a little bit about that story. Sure. So for me, I, I never even imagined this is what I'll be today, right? So we all start fresh, you know, in life. Uh, we all go to school, we come out, we figuring out life, you know, we, we get married, we get settled down, we, we, we get into a job, our first job. We don't know whether we, we like the job or not, but we get into and we're trying to understand and discover ourselves uh, and our talents. Um, so I'm similar to anybody, you know, mm -hmm. I, I started off like that. And one restriction that I have is 
to find a job that I don't need to face people, you know, much. So mm. I had to, so something office bound kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I started off with freelancing because I like freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started with, with geek uh, kind of work okay. way back in 1993. Okay. And um, I was helping insurance agents, you know, with all their marketing and sales stuff behind yep. the scene. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started. And then um, I got into some frontline jobs and then I ended up in my first career uh, in a call center environment uh, where I had to de- uh, handle inbound and outbound uh, calls. Yeah, like and cold I, calls, right? Uh, not just cold calls. It could be any kind of cold calls, okay. right? So people always define calls with telemarketing, yes. in, right? Uh, but not necessarily. So okay. inbound and outbound is basically like if you have incoming, like if you have inquiry, um, like today you have chat lines, inquiry yeah. emails and inquiry hotlines, right? Yeah. Similarly, we do have inbound. That's what we say, people calling us in mm-hmm. uh, to a particular line that's inbound. And when we do outbound that means we literally pick up the phone to call people out yeah and it can be a sales related call it could be a support a service related call oh, okay. it could be a order like for example i remember um like m1 you know they, they introduced like you know delivering mobile phones through harley davidson you know they had their hotline open okay we have palm uh, i don't know if you some of them could remember you know in the early days palm pilot mm-hmm. where they have actually got the support hotline as well okay. so there's so many types you know like banking you know usually they have Credit card sales, insurance sales. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, a book publication order ordering um, hotline. Yeah. Could be many. So I was exposed to that in, uh, uh, as a as a job, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I loved the fact that I was really learning about all the different industries, and it was very professional, you know. And I kind of love because people hear my voice, and. I kind of build trust. Um, you know, it just happens, right? Your, you, you, how you handle your customers, how you handle people-to-people relationship, and how you get that transaction done over a call. So that's how I started with my formal inside sales or known as contact center kind of job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last time, you know, so. <clears throat> so does, does that, like, did that experience help you gain that confidence in sales to communicate and ch- chat like you mentioned that you you wanted to find a job where you don't have to actually meet the client i know a little bit of your background right you being like a indian muslim woman uh and probably in your younger days your family being yeah. maybe a little bit more uh, reserved didn't yeah. find that something that they wanted you to do so was doing some of that experience <clears throat> oh my god even my voice <laughs> is going um, but in doing some of that experience did that help you I guess um, add to that experience of that confidence because I'm guessing before then you might not have had that experience to reach out to a stranger and just spark up a conversation and all of a sudden right. start talking about something right 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 so you're yeah, right uh, so family um, environment and the culture that I came from uh, usually they are very reserved mm-hmm. so especially my family was very reserved with women going out to work you know and I had to build that trust and and really um, come out from and change their mindset over this right so, so but that's how it started and I also preferred like you know something where I go nine to six you know do this stuff and come back um, as, as I said in the beginning, you know, like we are d- discovering our own skills and talents. So I actually consistently hit my quota and my targets. 
and KPIs, mm -hmm. and I was a top sales performer in my company. Nice. And um, and it was across different uh, projects, and that's when I knew that hey, I have a spark for this. You know, like I think I can connect with people. I'm not a real salesperson. I'm not trained uh, salesperson. You know, but. It's just like how you educate and help people um, get that solution, right? So I think I kind of understood that that was what uh, I was good in. And I started with that. And then from there, I kind of, uh, in year 2000, there was a lot of call center boom, uh, contact center boom, you yeah. know? So 1998, 2000, that's when I actually started my first company, official first company. And um, during that period, I helped companies set up inside sales processes. Inside sales is widely known today. The buzzword is inside sales, mm -hmm. virtual sales. At that point of time, it's called inbound, outbound, telemarketing, telesales environment. Okay. So I help companies set up programs, telemarketing programs, telesales programs, um, road warrior programs, which is like, you know, field sales plus and, yeah. and inside sales kind of uh, programs. So that was uh, so I was a consultant helping people set up contact centers and, and, and telemarketing programs. So uh, it, it it went on for several years, and then I, I was hit hunted by Microsoft. I was actually called in by Microsoft to support a regional contact center project, mm -hmm. and then ever since there, I've got some experience in there from for a couple of years, and I was literally in exposed to channel sales environment, you know, handling um, distributor markets. Uh, regional <coughs> inside sales uh, contact center environment across subsidiaries, across uh, working with global teams and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so that was all the milestone that accumulated over the years. And I also saw a gap in formal, proper education or training around inside sales because what I found was there's a lot of methodologies. Uh, that's being driven out, you know, like frameworks and everything. But at the end of the day. How can we make it simple enough for someone to understand sales and take mm. sales as a career? Because mm. nobody today, we did a survey with, with uh, college graduates. Nobody wants sales, nobody thought of sales as a formal career option or profession, you know? It, it's funny you say that because, like, when you mentioned this, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, every company I've ever been to, there, there's always sales reps, right? They're also, you know, the fancier name these days is. Uh, business management, uh, business development manager, right? But mm -hmm. in essence, you're a salesperson, right. okay? Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, like no one actively leaves high school or goes to college being like, I'm gonna be a salesperson. Yeah. It's something you end up eventually doing. And as far as I know, there's never been any like formal education around sales. There's always about what should you learn about? And then I find like a lot of salespeople are like, those naturally more talkative people. They're mm. naturally more, uh, a bit more aggressive. They're a little bit more straight mm. and direct. Uh, those are common characteristics of salespeople. Mm. I guess from my experience, like they're mainly like a lot of men, mm -hmm. right, in the sales positions. Mm -hmm. um, so having going through like all these particular marketing and sales, telemarketing, and then setting up some of these things for all these other businesses. How did you eventually get to the point where you go like, oh, this is a big issue that I see. No one else seems to be kind of covering this topic. And then what was, what was your personal, I guess, passion or drive towards wanting to then create this? Because, I mean, there's millions of people in the world, mm. but like, 
it is not common for me to hear of a business that particularly just wants to educate mm-hmm. sales for salespeople and for businesses. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of training companies out there. So people leave their job, they become a trainer the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, we have a lot of like that. You know? So the question here is who is really driving that efficacy and professionalism or ethics uh, behind the sales profession? And who is really putting that effort to really educate talents or new talents to come into sales as a profession and also there's a lot of bad stigma around it Mm. uh, basically because you see all these insurance guys I mean sorry I have a lot of professional insurance friends and and guys who serve me as well but what I'm trying to say is people are just exposed to a lot of different type of personalities Mm. uh, who are as you said, aggressive or very, you know, they get, you know, like I don't want to give my number in case you like harass me or something, right? Yeah. So uh, bad experiences because they end up buying something that they didn't want or pay higher than what they are. So there's a lot of issues out there in the world, and and I rec- I think that's all because of aggressive targets, lack of formal education, and mm. lack of commitment uh, to a formal ethical process. That's what I saw, and. I think there's a lot of sales associations um, in in other regions, but there isn't one strong association that's driving things in this part of the world, which is ASEAN. Mm -hmm. So um, I saw there was a lack of this. I also know that sales is not a difficult job at all. And um, yes, it's Mm -hmm. not a difficult job at all. And you just need to know certain things, you know, um, certain processes, techniques, tactics, strategies, handling different products, solutions or industries. And if you know customer psychology and you know how to handle, so so long you have the right um, interest in educating and help people solve their biggest pain point, they will... I, I don't see why don't somebody doesn't want to transact with you. Mm-hmm. So I did see there was a gap. There's a lot of big training companies that drove their own methodology. But I, all I wanted was, how can I make it simple enough for someone to understand? How can I make it professional enough for someone to want to be in that role? And how can we make sure that all this education that we drive adds value to their career next time and to the organization next time? So there's only two things. For an individual, it's like, am I learning with the right person? And is my training or my education recognized and endorsed my, by my future employer? For the employing company, it's about can you skill up this person so that they can meet their numbers and, and show me the results? And if yes, why not, right? So, so this was it. So that's how um, it all accumulated over the years. And then um, so when I, uh, I was in Microsoft uh, at the point where I decided to, in 2013, where... Um, I was doing a lot of sales evangelism and, and mm. working with internal sales CMOs across uh, APAC. Yeah. And then it came to me just like that. You know, like, I think I need to really like, formalize my business this time around. Because when I started uh, in year 2000, I didn't have a formal business background or understanding. It was yeah. everything was trial and error, failing and, and getting up and, and, and learning, right? Yeah. So when I started in 2013, I formalized the business, and uh, the, that's how the name came out, Asia-Pacific Sales and Marketing Academy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I want, you know. So it's not difficult to understand what you're doing. It's yeah. Asia-Pacific Sales and Marketing, and the, it's an academy. Yeah, that's right, the, right? the explanation is within the name <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's what I wanted to do, and I was very clear with what I wanted to do. Um, and this time around, because of all my learnings, uh, I, I could formalize my business. It was very professionally done, and this is the seventh year or eighth year already. Well, congratulations. Thank you. you know, to, to like survive, I, I think, 
businesses to survive even past the four-year point, let alone grow and scale. And then obviously in 2020, this year to continue to survive. I think this has been, as I learned more about entrepreneurship and, and business uh, owners and CEOs, I'm like, you know what, this, this isn't as easy as a job as I originally would have thought. Just because getting to know everyone's story, it's like everyone's got slightly different paths and journeys. They got a lot of things that are similar, but depending on the context, very different. Um, so congratulations for, for getting so far. I guess my question is for when you get to the point where this is what I want to make, this is where I want to go, how did you then get, say, your first few clients? And then how did you eventually scale that? Right. Mm -hmm. Because you got to you got to train other people. Like, how did you hire the people? How did you get them to be on the same mindset? And then how did you scale the business? All right. So I think the first project that I got, I wouldn't say everything was beta of roses for me, of course. Uh, things were tough. But uh, what I learned is the value of network mm -hmm. and all these kind of people that you meet in your professional life over the several years and how you kind of build relationships with them you know you just have to have a genuine way of connecting with people and keeping in touch and being you know having that relationship I never thought you know I was just like everybody were friends every time I go into a company I, I make friends you know my colleagues become my friends I keep in touch with them I check on them and and it, it's like that right and then you work uh, professionally in an environment people remember you for who you are and the results that you have shown you know people mm -hmm. remember you so this kind of um, a lot of people don't know or don't understand that you know all these jobs that they are into all this network the colleagues that they meet uh, are going to be their future network mm -hmm. you know so that's how i got my first business one of my ex-colleague he found out that i actually started started out on, on my own and i'm doing this and the first project very big project that i got was for patronas and mm. yes, okay. and I had to train 60 people on project management, PMP. And I was like, I'm in sales and marketing and what do I do with PMP, you know? And, and uh, because it's a new project and, and Petronas is a big logo to acquire, yeah. I was like, yeah, I still know how to manage training, uh, administration and, and handling and coordinating trainers and facilitating that whole process, program managing it technically, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I took on that project and that's how I got my first deal. Uh, and then from there on, there were a lot of people who supported me uh, on the background to keep going with what I was trying to do because they've like every time I tell them what I'm doing or what I'm what what this whole company is about, they go like, "Wow, you know, this is great," you know, and like so they keep encouraging me to keep doing what I'm doing. And um, and then a lot of people from Microsoft, Oracle friends, you know, people from Cisco and all these different companies, mm -hmm. they got to know and then they started calling me up. So it's word of mouth. I was not, you know, I wasn't doing SEO marketing. I wasn't doing a lot of uh, digital marketing as I would, you know, and, and being reserved myself. I wasn't out. I, I wasn't vocal. I wasn't um, yeah. showing my face in front of cameras. But right. there was a lot of word of mouth yeah, referral. And I, I remember still there was one big client entity uh, where they had to, like, really force me to take on their project. And I can tell you that's one of my biggest um, biggest client now uh, for the last four or five years. Oh. Uh, so that's how it is, right? So you don't just take projects and then done with it. Like you, you really kind of have run rate business from there. So that, that's how it, it, it grew. It wasn't like suddenly like big shot of projects. Yeah. Slowly, you know, it trickled in and then that's how it is. Okay, so like it's, it sounds like your strategy 
and I don't know if this is even by accident or you planned it, but it was like keeping your the core of what you want, you know, in terms of like helping people sell that uh, or, or get enabled to be better at sales um, and, and having that good relationship and connection throughout your employee days, right, with like the different businesses yeah. and the work that you did because you mentioned, you know, your colleagues maybe in the future will be your clients and that definitely sounds yeah. like that's what happened right yeah you you worked well with your colleagues your colleagues saw what your value was and then when you decided to take your own venture it was like word of mouth yeah and that's sometimes better in my opinion than literally having like a lot of money spent on marketing and branding right off the bat i mean if someone's willing to say hey this person is someone that you should do or, or get in contact with to do this thing that you want that word of mouth has a lot more transactional value instead of just like a video telling you that i mean a video could be like the next best thing right but mm. to have a friend or another colleague tell and express this to like their ceo or cfo that mm. i vouch for this yeah. business that helps you kind of get to a certain place yep. now from there i know you started getting like some official associations, accreditations, you got things. Because you, you mentioned like you wanted this business not only to be just helping people out, but you wanted it to be recognized, right? Because that's like another value add to any cer certification. Mm. Mm. How did you go about scaling in that way? How did you find the right partners? How did you get yourself accredited? How did you get yourself recognized by Singapore government to say, Yes, this business is legit. What mm -hmm. was that process like? Right. So, um, as I said, and uh, to the point just now you made, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm not saying don't do marketing, but <laughs> what I'm saying is branding is equally important. Your reputation is equally important. Reliability and trust is important. That's it, what I was saying. Yeah? It's, it's part All of the same part thing, of that right? Whole thing. Yeah. 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 So, in terms of the partnerships and associations that I've got, I think I kind of state cause and kind of always reflect on why am I doing what I'm doing? Because sometimes when it comes to business, your value system may clash with the decision that you have to make to make money. You know, like, can I go sidetrack and do, maybe do some, some other training that I want to do? Or can I compromise on this or compromise on that? Mm. But uh, we always have to kind of stay focused and stay cause mm. and just do what you intended to do, right? So from that, you know, I just know that a, I need an accreditation partner. And I, and I didn't want to reinvent the wheel because I just want to make sure that there's no one in the world that's doing what I'm doing. Or at least if there's someone that's already doing, just partner with them, right? Mm. Collaborate. So that's how I reached out to the associations and mm. kind of looked at what they already have and look at how they can uh, kind of endorse what I'm doing. And it took a lot of uh, credibility and trust as well because people don't just partner with anybody. Yeah. You know, so who you are, your background, uh, there's a lot of factors that comes into partner relationship and selection. Uh, equally, like I also have my own way of selecting my partners, complementing partners. Sometimes it's like collaboration partners. Sometimes it's just vendors. It really depends on the kind of relationship that I would like to have. If I'm going to put my brand together with another brand, I make sure that you know I go through a rigorous process of that partnership as well. So for me, um, it's the same process for the associations when they look at the global associations, when they look at me, who am I? You know, like, you know, so when they look at a lot of different factors and they see that, yes, you know, they, they believe in what I was doing and they 
they strongly wanted to partner with me as well. So that's how I got the relationships uh, moving. Yeah, it's been very strong uh, since because we all have the same vi vision uh, and purpose of uh, professionalizing sales and helping the community around us with good uh, proper sales standards and education. Uh, for Singapore government, uh, I would say the government agency E2I, uh, so yeah. to get endorsed, it was not easy. It took many, many, many years of perseverance and, and okay. due diligence to really reach out to them because you can't just get to the contact person just like that. You know, you got to really follow you, up and work your way through. You can't just like register no, and apply and then... No, I, I don't think so. That I think now it's straightforward, but many years back, it wasn't like that, five years back, you okay. know? So I had to really work hard to get that relationship. And I had to work on strategic partnership with NTUC and E2I. So I had to show them, and, and way before what others were already saying, I already told them that this is the future. And there's a market for virtual sales and inside sales. Mm -hmm. And people are work, going to go digital. And we need to skill up Singaporeans with the skills. Uh, that was like five years back that I told them that. And we actually had formal. That's when how they looked around and they, they said, yeah, you are the company that, that does this well and does this properly and the kind of endorsement and the partnership that we're looking for um, reason being is that i'm not just a training one-man training shop you know but it's a formal business yeah. with the right sales standard sales curriculum certification and accreditation around it so it was not about volume but it's about the quality of the program and also the future direction of what we need for singaporeans Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so that's how we started it. It seems like that was probably one of the overarching like main requirements from Singapore government that it's like it's it's based towards like how it improves lo like the locals here. But before you could even get into the eyes of the government E2I and ev everything else that you mentioned, you had to have already got the business slowly running. You had yes. to have those partnerships kind of more or less in place. So bigger entities that saw your entity as like, yeah, we're aligned yes, with exactly. them, this we'll partner with them. And therefore, th your names just by aligning with yourself with bigger associations mm -hmm. gets more credibility. Yeah. And then the government was able to kind of take notice, investigate a little bit yeah. more. more. Yeah. So it's not something that you could just say, that's what you want to do today and then apply to yeah. the government and then they see it and it's like accept or no, reject. That, that's not how it works. Yeah. So a lot of people think that this is easy, but actually it's not. Uh, it takes a lot of different things to put together in order for you to really get to that stage. Uh, they just don't partner with anyone as well. I, I think for, yeah, for Singapore government specifically, they, they, they really do do all their background checks, all the yes. paperwork checks Yes. Uh, before they're even going to allow you to say yeah. that the government approves yes right that's why when when we start a business i think there's two two things right you have a business you're trying to make money and you're trying to you know sell it to someone and move on uh, there's another type of business where you're here to stay and you're here to do something good for long term with or without kind of revenue going in sometimes you mm. know and we are here as an education and as an academy for sales and we are here to stay that's great so, so you mentioned you partnered up with this bigger association right what was that association and how did you find them and and what was i guess for that specific partnership what were the components you were looking at that made you go say like this is the partnership that i win and I think you will win as well. And then how did that happen? Yeah, so um, when we talk about partnership, there's two things. Uh, one is 
we are at their mercy and other one is they are at our mercy kind mm-hmm. of relationship. Okay. So uh, when I was looking, you know, so 2013, internet was already up, right? So we Googled up, you know, I was like checking out on certifications and s- checking out on, on um, inside sales kind of domain and who were the leading authority in this yeah. and all the players, you know, I did a, a research in my, uh, and, and that's how I, found uh, AAISB, the Global Insight Sales Association, mm-hmm. and I reached out to them. Again, same thing, it took a while for them to come back. Yep. And then through somewhere else, they reached out to me asking me if I want to be a chapter president in Singapore to represent Insight Sales. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay, I was already in touch with you before for a partnership, you know, yeah, so, so it is like, kind of, yes. Okay. So that's how, how that, that, that all came out together. And okay. then... Um, they were not ready for Asia APEC market at that mm, point of time, mm-hmm. and uh, but I kind of showed that potential, and and I really kind of showed that passion, and I just wanted to make this happen. You know, I want that certification, I want that endorsement, I want their peer-to-peer community to be here. I want to represent them. That's how okay. it's a win-win situation. I became their chapter president and their brand ambassador in Singapore, and mm-hmm. I also became a partner with them for APEC and Middle East market. Uh, for oh, okay. the certification, uh, strong four years partnership. So I was at the MLC. Some people think because they're too big, you know, they 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 have the all the global leaders mm. and all the big brands under the umbrella, yeah. you know. And um, I would think that company of their type would really look at the partnership very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's a lot of different components that 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 contributed to us being their partner, and that says a lot about our background as well. Well, you mentioned that eventually they came and approached you to kind of mm. endorse their company here while you were already trying to go through the partnership. So it's kind of like a little yeah. bit around the way. But do you think a lot of that had to had come out or come through because of your reputation that you've been building across the time? Yes, could be. Um, So I was, like today people are talking about LinkedIn and B2B platform. I have been in LinkedIn for since what, 2006, Mm -hmm. 2005, 2006, early days. And I think online, uh, not just online, but I think your reputation, how you carry yourself. I mean, there's just a lot of things. I I, I don't want to like do injustice, you know, just by saying certain things. But I think it's a lot about the person himself, the company itself, the purpose, and are you here for a short short time or are you for a long haul? Are you doing this for your own reason or for a community reason? There's a lot of things, you know, because value system needs to align. Yeah. Uh, and it all has to align together. So, so, yeah, so that's how it all worked. Yeah, so your partnership with them aligned as in you guys had the same ideas, the same value. And then when it came to the partnership sounding, it's like, you needed them to recognize a your business, right? About and and the things that you were doing, and they were happy to do that because they were asking you to represent them as well. And then at the same time, they needed your help to represent them in a completely new market. So it it yeah. felt like it sounds like there was a there was a complete synergy. Definitely. Correct. There was something lacking yeah. in each depart or in each yeah. entity, and then you filled each other's right. gaps. And if as long as you're the right ideas and and values are the same then that equals a good partnership is Mm. that what people should be looking out for yeah i think you see one is community representation there's a lot of communities and groups you know interest groups forming everywhere Mm. like who can you put as the lead 
in front of the community uh, or who could be that one person that can really manage the community, right? So that's one aspect of it. On the other hand, um, when it comes to brand representation or brand partnership, to even say that I'm partnered with this person or this company, I think that's another ballgame altogether. And for that, right, you know, if I want you, for example, I want you to do a financial endorsement on something, for example, mm -hmm. how can I give it to anybody? I need to give to someone who understands that, who yeah. understands the nitty-gritties, who's able to do an audit, who's able to do the governance around it. And because no mistakes can be done on that part, right? So I think that's where when it comes to so there's two different things. Even though we, we found certain synergies on working together in different ways, mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the most essential aspect is, are you part of an interest group or are you part of a business partnership, a formal partnership mm. that takes a few things for you to even check before you become a partner? Mm. That, that's what I mean. Going a little bit off track here, I want your personal opinion because this is something I've seen many smaller business entrepreneurs try to do to leverage each other's connections to build more sales and revenue. But sometimes I'm not quite certain if they're actually partnering up for the right reasons or partnering up simply because another business has more connections they've never accessed and they're looking for more ways to just gain revenue. Do you think those businesses who are smaller, but obviously like they need the cash flow to, to run? And I know, or maybe you can enlighten me, when they just partner up with, say, like their friend company or a, a company mm. that they feel like, oh, OK, like you got some connections. Let, let's leverage off each other and sell more together. What do you what's your opinion on that kind of strategy? And mm. taking in mind these businesses, mm. they don't know what they're doing, really, <laughs> but they're only trying to build their revenue. Right. Um, I, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from because there's a lot of people who also wants to partner with me and they think that they can work with me. Hey, can you like promote my Enneagram program mm. or my, my other program, this program, that program? You know, like I kind of understand. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think there's a couple of things. Um, in early years when I started, remember this is my second business, right? So yeah. the early years, I try to work with everybody, collaborate, right? Yeah. And see if we got synergies. Yeah. Um, but one thing I learned and, and one thing that I, I always um, do is, it's not about the size of the business. Um, and contrary to what other people say, okay, it's about more about how you leverage the resources across the world um, to really put things together for your business, right? You can have a part-time designer who comes in and do, do all your brand collateral. You can have a part-time person who comes in and work on all your content blogs, mm -hmm. for example, right? So it's not about the number of resources that you have that, that, that defines um, whether you're small or not. I think it's the way we conduct business, the process that we carry and the, the way, the formality that, that, that's around how you work on certain things defines whether you're small or not. Okay, so let me explain this. For example, when I do business in Apex SMA, everything has a formal process. For example, if I want to hire a trainer or get a trainer, mm -hmm. I make sure I go through the same process that a big corporation would do. Okay. I'll sign an NDA. I'll make sure that you know the formal application is done. I have a formal contract in place. Mm -hmm. I have all their you know um, pay slips and uh, HR systems set up. Their formal logins all set up. You know so that they see a belonging and they see a very formal business approach to right. how we manage things. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when we work with vendors or we work with partners, same process. We work on a very formal 
pr process. Some people think, hey, why do you want to do this? You know, but you know, sometimes these agreements and NDAs and the formalities around the engagement really shows that you know you are in serious business. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's number one. Number two is it's not about okay, tomorrow I see something and I want to work together with you. It's not about that. It's you got to see whether that product or that services that this person is going to bring in either complements what you're already doing or fills a gap that you have. For example, I have a uh, inside sales certification program, yeah. okay, and it's a formal course. It goes across eight weeks or twelve weeks, and and people really go through different structures and they get coaching. One thing that I could have done better is voice training and prospecting pitching, for mm. example. So even though I do this as part of the training program, I could go as a deep dive program, skills enablement for that area alone. Mm -hmm. So I saw this uh, platform or tool uh, that was proposed to me by another partner and they said, hey, look at this, you know, someone can look at the script, they can rehearse the script and they can record the script and the manager can review mm -hmm. and we can actually perfect the pitch again. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and, and I found that that platform was very good because it does a scoring, it gives you a red, yellow, yeah. green okay. and really perfects the script. So what I'm trying to say is look at your pro product that you have, the solutions that you have can this complement what you're already doing? And so, therefore, strengthening uh, what, what you have to offer? Or does it fill a gap? Or do you want to just make a holistic solution out of this? For example, I want to put in an entrepreneurship program so I can offer sales and marketing and customer service. I probably need a finance person and a PR person and, a, mm -hmm. and, a, and whatever person to come together to make a complete solution, right? So you've got to look at that first. And, and then you make a decision on how, and who you want to partner with. And when you want to partner with someone, make sure that that person also is aligned with your company core value systems and, mm. and branding uh, alignment from that perspective. Uh, because sometimes if they damage something or if they don't deliver on what they have to, yeah. it damages your brand. Because at the end of the day, the customer is going to see APEC SMA. They're not going to say so-and-so. Yeah. Because I engage you, you are answerable to my deliverable. And the quality, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I hear you. Uh, you know, there are a lot of partnerships and collaborations. You know, people want to have small, small deals and stuff, which is fine. You can bring them in as a consultant or a trainer or a, just a adjunct or an ad hoc person, part-time person, freelance person, contract mm -hmm. by contract, but um, not really partnership. But if you're looking at partnership, make sure that it's a formal partnership in a sense. Okay. So that, that, that gives some pretty good, like, direction for figuring out partnership. I think what I was able to gather from that is before you take any massive steps into officializing that partnership, you should go over all those steps, right? Whether or not you got the same values, can you fit each other's shortcomings? Can you alleviate each other's business problems? Uh, and all those kind of things like reputation, all that can, yeah. is a synergy there and then formalize it officially. Mm -hmm. um, but if before that, if you haven't been able to figure that out, if this is like early conversations, I'm hearing that you can just hire them on an ad hoc basis, test the waters, see how they do certain things in certain yeah. ways and see whether or not that actually helps the business or is that something where it's like 
great. We tried it. Some things didn't work out, or maybe it did, and 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 try to see how you can work towards the partnership. But don't just go like, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. uh, brother, <laughs> okay, brother, business done. Um, yeah. That's not the way to do it. Because yeah. I've, I've honestly, I swear, I've heard some of these like smaller businesses or entrepreneurs who want to just start out, especially if they're super young, right? Yeah. They're gonna make that mistake of just going like, "Oh, you got an idea? I got something like that idea. Let's just partner up and do the same thing." Mm. And then, you know, because I've heard this with actually like maybe three of the other interviews we've heard, it's like their first business, they just do whatever, right. and then it always fails somehow. It's usually to do with the partnership, yeah. right? Like something went wrong with the relationship, yeah. and then it breaks. Yeah, I think there's so many so many ways a part person can partner: co-founders partnering uh, for a solution or coming in as a vendor. Mm. Uh, I always interview the person or I always have a formal discussion around whether things align right uh, because personality is chemistry when somebody want to work together um, I know that I, I started one company and and the client wanted to work with me and another per and the other partner felt that you know she wasn't recognized or she said no don't take that partnership I mean don't take that client I'm like no I gave my word I've mm. signed the agreement I cannot break that agreement so sometimes value systems how we conduct you know how our way of doing things could differ so when it comes to branding and formal relationships formal business management have everything formalized and and you do you conduct in a way that how a bigger company would operate us, yeah. So it's like do do your due diligence. Yeah, you doesn't, have to. Doesn't matter if you're small or big. Doesn't There's matter. a reason why a big company has to do them. Yeah. Smaller companies should still take that into yeah to account. Okay, awesome. Um, great stuff there. I guess one of the other big questions now is, what is it like being the CEO? Especially also being a CEO and representing the Indian Muslim women community because by any standards it's a little bit of a rarity even for southeast asia uh, to have these three things um and 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 to be a ceo and to be a parent and a mother you're kind of like got a lot of things going against you and yet you've kind of persevered and gone past of it so what is it all like being a ceo in your position today yeah um it is tough Definitely, because uh, on one hand, I have my business that I need to manage and I need to make sure that, you know, it's successful and we stay on mission with what we want to do. And we are now serving a community and we have to make sure that, you know, we conduct ourselves correctly and, and we bring everything in the interest of the community. On the other hand, uh, I have a family and I have to manage them and I have to make sure that my kids are all taken care of. I don't want to be like, oh, uh, this broke down because or the, the son was seen in somewhere just because the mom didn't wasn't there for him. Mm. Um, so uh, working from home and, and managing my own business kind of helped me decide where and how I want to work in my own terms. I mean, there's a lot of Indian Muslim women uh, who are working and they are professional in their own career, but not many of them are outspoken and they come out and, and they show their face to the world. Yeah. And I'm one of them too. You know, I yeah. hardly put my face in front of cameras. Yeah. Um, until today. Until today, Sorry, right? Sorry, we forced you into this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I do reserve. But what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, is a support system. Your family support is very, very important. I think there's a lot of um, support from the community as well. And yeah, I think it's all working well. You know, it, it's not an easy place to be in, but I know where and how to balance that try. You know, balance it because when I'm out in a wedding environment or in a, my relatives' place or in my in-laws' place, I'm just your 
daughter-in-law, your auntie, and your, yeah. your whoever, or sister, or friend, just yeah. like one of you, right? Yeah. I don't bring my CEO suit inside that discussion, right? Yeah. So when I'm in a professional environment, you know, I'm just being myself, you know, like who are, whatever that I'm caused to do. And um, I'm just normal. I'm just human. You know, I'm just very, very normal. I don't have a air about who I am or what I am. I know for a fact that every day I learn and I, I discover new things. So I think I'm just scratching the surface and I think there's still a lot more that I could do actually. Yeah. So it, very, it sounds to me like you're just very humble about all of that. It's not about humble. I think, I don't know, I just feel that there's still a lot more to do. I, I think there is. Oh, there's so much sure. depth in everything, you know, and sometimes I feel like, oh, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have done this. But I also kind of got to a place where I know that I can't boil the ocean overnight and yeah. it takes time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I know for a fact there's a lot of things that I can do and still more to do. I'm gathering a lot of like that humility from that. I think that's also, I mean, from what I can gather and from the story you've been telling me, that's, that's part of the reputation that you have. And it sounds like that's what people enjoy about you. Have you ever had a time in your career or throughout your CEO uh, founding business where any of these three aspects of your life or just who you are had an effect with the business? Has that ever been a problem? Mm. Like, for example, um, I wouldn't say that's a problem. You don't have to name uh, any yeah, names yeah, here, yeah. but just the situation. Yeah, I think a couple of scenarios I can give is Asian men uh, mm. always have that dominating characters. You know, you mean the over, Chinese one, right? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all Asian men, you know, in general, okay. you know, they, they do have that uh, a bit more edge over uh, the woman, you know, and, and being an Indian and a woman, people stereotype you, you know, the first thing For they sure. want to know is, oh, uh, where do you stay or uh, what's your education? Where do you come from? What's your husband doing? You know, they try to stereotype you, uh, you know, um, and then they always feel that, oh, being an Indian woman, you know, you must be. Uh, lesser in certain ways, you like know. submissive? Yeah, submissive, or maybe they feel that you may not know what you're talking about, or, you know, just the first impression, right? Gotcha. Just the first impression, they always feel that you're just, an, you know, I don't know, whatever. A bit more sheltered. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like... you know, just that impression of, of women in general, mm -hmm. especially Indian men to Indian women, you know, they always have this view about certain people. If not, they term you as arrogant and bossy and, you know, like, you yes. know. Okay. Uh, you know, so they always have this, they always stereotype you and they have this. So I have a lot of my, some of the Indian colleagues or Indian clients who kind of stereotype you. And then they try to uh, think that you may not be up to that mark. But mm. until you open your mouth and you talk about certain things, right? When, when I go to certain clients, you know, they also have this impression about uh, what you could potentially do for them. You know, like, yeah. you know, do you know your stuff? Do you, yeah, they, yeah, they're right? questioning your yeah. abilities, Yeah, so right? do you know your stuff? And Even I'm, though I'm, you have this accreditation and no, all this stuff already? the thing is, like, until you have a professional discussion, nobody can... No you one know, can really decipher whether or not whether they that, that that works or not, right? Mm. So yeah, that that happens sometimes. There is discrimination. There is a, a bit of man woman thing. You know, there's still a bit of you're an Indian woman or you're a Muslim woman. You're supposed to be like that or or you're like this. You know, and I don't care. You know, I really don't care. You know, and uh, I think one of the things that I try to do is so long my family knows what I'm doing and so long my husband is okay with it and he's supportive of it. Um, and I don't do something that would damage the family's name mm. and the reputation or the brand or the partnership even like, you know, because how I conduct myself also will 
hit back the partners that I have, right? It will affect everyone, Yeah, of course. It's like an ecosystem that you're here. You're responsible, right? So, yeah. So, I think um, there has been moments, uh, but um, I just kind of moved with it professionally and tactically, tactfully, yeah. So, when you move forward with that, right? Because I want to get something that, you know, someone who's watching who might be in a similar position or has those similar uh, situations, how do you combat that? Like, what would you do when, when you say continue to be professional? What does that mean for someone? There's various situations, you know, like um, when you talk about Indian women, naturally, they always have to go back home by a certain time. They cannot travel out. They, they have family commitments. Uh, there's a lot of different things that differ. And, and also depends on the level of position that person carries, right? So mm-hmm. if you're at an... Uh, junior to management level and and you're still like figuring out you know your career and you're still trying to come uh, and work and trying to create a position for yourself i think it's like how you balance your family life versus your business life or professional life when you're a career woman and when you are conducting business when you're at a ceo level or c-level positions again like you know client meetings or traveling out for five days or ten days to us you know Mm -hmm. for a business meeting or whatever that is right i mean again balancing that you know work versus family life right because you still have to like if you have a big offsite meetings and um, where everyone is gathering and you need to be there you need to be there right so i think again um, just kind of gain that trust uh, from your family it's not about permission seeking but it's more about sh- tell them show them you know like i think a lot of people are just scared uh, especially Indian Muslim women, you know, like mm. either they are too vocal or they're just too scared to even bring that out and tell their family members that they have to be here or do that or do this. I think it, uh, I think now nowadays things have changed a bit. People tend to see that career is important as well. Yeah. So you've got to just open up and, and, and show the purpose and, and I think people will understand. Okay. So it sounds like to, to be able to keep that professionalism, a, a good part of that for someone who's might facing those prejudice stuff is first you need to have the trust from the back end your family to already trust that hey you are doing the right thing if people feel you're being vocal that's their opinion as long as you're being true to yourself and standing up for what you believe in in a professional manner that's that's okay right because i i agree even as someone just also going through careers and growth and so forth it's like not everyone's gonna love you mm. right you can't please everyone yeah but i can only accept myself because if i'm trying to always please everyone to accept me then yeah. i'm not really gonna be happy yeah. right i'm just yeah. constantly pleasing someone else yeah. as long as i'm staying within the definition of what i feel is appropriate yeah. uh, for what i believe in yeah I don't. I personally, this is my opinion. I mm. personally don't care how you think of me right. because I think of myself pretty good. And if you think I'm lesser because I am this or that, yeah, that's I mean, your opinion. That's amazing. That's good for you. Mm. Right? I think it's it's like simple examples. Like you go to a bar, for example, you have U.S. clients and you have to go to a bar mm. for an evening dinner out. People might be drinking, but you don't necessarily have to drink right you can be having an uh, an orange juice for example so it's like so long you know what you are doing is right and so long your family members trust you on that that's that's all that matters i think that's a very great point especially for your situation your culture 
and the Muslim thing, right? Because I think going out and drinking with clients is, is a very common practice here in Asia. It's almost like expected. Um, but then it is sometimes weird. Like, uh, let's say you have Japanese clients. Their, their, their tendency is to go out, have a couple of drinks, maybe discuss business. Correct. But usually it's like gain that relationship and yes. then talk business tomorrow. Yeah. But then sometimes it's a bit different if you don't drink. And that's because of your choice of religion and, yeah. and culture, right? Yeah. And sometimes you can't change that. Yeah. But as long as you're confident with that then they should be okay with that too right and maybe if they're not then maybe it's not the right client or partner yeah no but even for family members right i mean i mean basically they just need to know that yeah you're going out to a bar but you're not drinking right so i I think in certain cultures it's forbidden that they go to bars for example Mm. but it's not necessary that everybody go to bar just to have a drink they can actually have a coke yeah. So, so I think it's just people's perception and their view of the world and they may not necessarily be exposed to this kind of thing. So they tend to have this preconceived mindset. So you just need to educate them over a period of time and, and show them that everything is fine. You know? mm. and, and that's what has happened. It took me many years, but slowly to gain that trust and, and, and to, to, to show them that just because somebody goes to work or somebody ha- goes up in rank or earns higher than what they need to mm-hmm. doesn't mean that things need to be broken sometimes. Awesome. So when it comes to being a CEO and everything, right? You're a leader. You're, you're, you're the one that spearheads most things. All your employees, your partners will look to you to do certain things uh, or to be a certain someone. What are some advices you have for being a better leader, did you did you have a mentor that helped teach you some of this stuff? Is it all kind of self-taught through your experience? What advice do you have for other people in your position or growing to be better at that? All right, it's a mix of different things, uh, but most important is I see leaders, I observe people, and I bring in like what I don't like to be treated as, or I don't like to be. Um, when I don't like someone and some styles or some stuff that they do, uh, I try not to do that as well, right? So uh, I see a lot of, I show a lot of compassion. I show a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that comes to leadership. And and it's just about, uh, it's a mixture of everything that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, conducting professionally and, 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 um, you know, managing people. There's a lot of different things that comes in play. It sounds like, in essence, it's like treat others how you want to be treated. Right, because I've seen, I've basic heard of, of the I the guess. basic essence of that. Because I've heard that like numerous times by many other. Uh, it's fam- a basic, you know, just keeping very things very simple, right? It's just very basic foundation of everything, you know. Some people, you know, they have a certain character, and for them, that character could be normal, and they tend to also partner or work with people or who also have similar characters because it works, it gels together. But at the end of the day, it's just all about you know making sure that. You you have that trust, you have, um, you know that you're accountable for the ecosystem that you serve. Yeah, okay. And then you conduct yourself properly and uh, everything else will just come in place. So about conducting yourself properly. So I find myself struggling with this more and more so recently. And it's, it comes down to emotions, right? Let's say like when I'm more of like an employee, I'm lower on the scale. So my reputation has less effects on the business sometimes, but... Sometimes I like emotionally wise, I'm like, get, get stressed. Right. 
But then as as you become higher, as you become manager, leader, CEO, there's like so much more things that's going to stress you out that people don't realize. Mm. How do you control the emotion, right? Mm. What do you do? Ah, zen, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do get stressed up. I do get a lot of, you know, um, early years, I used to like just show my stress openly. Yeah. Um, as I age and as I grow, you know, and I, and I don't really bring uh, stress into my family. Like, you know, I don't bring my work into my family or similarly. So you similarly, try to keep it separate, right? Work stress very, does very, not enter very, family. Yes, it's very separate. And um, you just don't end up shouting to your colleagues because you're stressed out, right? You don't do that, you know? So, you know, stress is stress, but at the same time, you just need to know what, uh, it's just being more efficient and productive or just look at what is that stress component that's triggering it and then try to manage that and and if, if it gets too much I just take a break and take off and rest you know and 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 just go on holidays I mean now we can't but then you know just take a break you know rest so um, that's how I manage it I'm very very careful and mindful of the environment that I serve mm-hmm. because your stress couldn't like a ripple effect, right? It, it, yeah. You shouldn't scatter to other people, you know. Yeah. If you keep saying stress to someone every day, that pr- probably the person, even the best of everyone, could also feel feel that pain or stress, you know. So don't influence that, right? So just manage yourself, I guess. So it's like take a break. It sounds like priority like management. Look at what's causing the stress, and then and then address it. Yeah, the looking at what's causing the stress, because that's what I've been feeling sometimes too, is it might not even be the work itself, but maybe it's the workload yeah. or the person behind the workload or, or someone or telling... expectation setting. So it could be something, right? Coming to terms of what you can do, what you can't do, uh, accept reality sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and understand that, you know, you cannot boil the ocean overnight. You cannot change someone overnight. You cannot bring someone... Into to look into what you're you're trying to do overnight, you know. So it all takes time to 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 change and and so just accept it, right? Yeah. Yeah, just accept it and then try to work out, right? Sometimes it's as you said, it's workload. You're just trying to prioritize, look at what's important, what's not important. Yeah. Um, last time I used to do a lot of pro bono work. Any anybody ask me for help, you're you know, just I just try and, help. and yeah. help and support them, and you know. But now I I, I got to look at it like uh, hey I I. I don't have energy anymore you know yeah. I, I kind of have only that number of hours i learned to say no finite uh, yeah so this is something i've right. been learning recently as well saying no but yeah. it's it sounds like a it's like definitely you got to reflect what's the problem then you can figure out uh, somewhat yeah. of a solution and that is one way to then start moving into a place where you can alleviate yourself mm-hmm. from that stress i've been recently uh, reading this book about something called essentialism. It's a little bit different from minimalism. Mm. Essentialism is more about finding what is essential. And I think you mentioned a point that relates uh, to a a certain chapter in that book. And it was talking about trade-offs. And as someone who gets better with essentialism thinking, it is understanding those trade-offs and that you have a finite amount of time. And that if you choose to do something, you must also think about the trade-offs you must trade off to do that one thing. Yeah. So like you were saying, if you're going to do 10 pro bono projects, the trade-off is you're either going to neglect your family or you're going to neglect your CEO job or you're going to ne- neglect something else. There has to be that trade-off. And I think at least where I was discovering this is 
I used to be the same way as well, or I'm kind of like transitioning into saying being better at saying no, but I'm realizing the trade-off by saying yes to everything means I can't actually do the core thing very well. Mm-hmm. And that is a mistake that has now caused me yep. all that stress. Yeah, yeah. So, so I used to like be open for partnerships or even look at certain things, but now I'm very mindful of my time. My time is very important for me. Yeah. And... Um, and I just I'm very selective with my num- my meetings, my, the people that I meet, the mm. kind of things that I do on a daily day to day thing, the kind of things that I do at home, uh, a lot of things. It's it's kind of changed the way I operate totally. Fantastic. Well, it's been an amazing conversation so far. Uh, I mean, it's been great hearing all your experiences, your business, uh, partnerships, leaderships, personalities, personal life religion, culture, all this kind of stuff. Zenith, we're, we're kind of coming close to the end of this whole session, so I want to try one new thing that I've never done with any of the interviews so far, and I want to do this quick-fire question round, okay. which means you got roughly about a minute. I'm going to try and time you on this one. Okay. A minute to answer. i got six questions for you. Okay. Try to keep it sh- sweet and short, okay. um, and, then, uh, and then we'll go into the last final questions or sure. whatever we have left, okay? So uh, quick-fire round. First question, is there any other businesses or individuals that you look up to? Yes. Who and why? There's a lot. I don't even need one minute to think about this, you know. So there's a lot of business entities out there uh, who have fantastic solutions and fantastic services to, to serve the, the cost that I'm trying to serve and to, to complete that whole thing. Um, and there's a lot of individuals out there uh, who are very, very good. And um, yeah, I do look up to them and I... Who are they though? So I have a lot of colleagues or peers uh, from the Global Insight Sales Association, from the Women's Sales Pro Group. There's also a lot of people in the UK market. So a lot of peers, you know, the global peers in the same line of business. I think there are great people out there. Jake Rainey, Max, uh, Laurie Richardson, Bob Perkins, and a lot more. There's a lot, a lot of people. I, I think there's a lot of great people out there and there's a lot to learn from everyone. Okay, that's fantastic. I like that you've eventually mentioned their names because those are particular names I have personally never heard, heard about. And I think that's all more to our, our kind of cause here because there are so many of them. But like you said, I think a lot of business entrepreneurs just, they're not really out there on the limelight as, yeah. as, they, as they are today, but there's just such a volume that just hasn't yes. been. Uh, next question, favorite book to read? What is it about? Right. Um, I had a book on Game Changer. So the title of the book, it's called Game Changer. It really was a great book. It kind of gave a lot of different dimensions of how a business can be conducted, uh, a design thinking element that was embedded. I think that was a great book that I had. Um, there are a lot of other books as well, but my favorites are usually those kind of business strategies, marketing, you know, so. Okay, so under business strategy, marketing, Game Changer. Was one of the very good books. That book kind of helped you well, yeah, because for game. me, it's like all about you have a business, so what, right? So do you, does it support something? But there's so many other businesses that does the same thing as you. So what is that differentiation that you can influence and impact with, right? So, mm. so I like those kind of books that, you know, kind of look through um, those kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Um, first thing you think other people should think about 
before starting their own business? Hmm. Passion and finance. <laughs> Passion and finance. Because okay. if you're too passionate about something, you will do it no matter what. Okay. You know, it may take zero dollars for the next two, three years, but you still endure your perseverance and then how you get it done. Uh, finance is because look at your finances because they got to bootstrap themselves for a while, right? So unless you have a family to feed and, and if you are the sole breadwinner, you got to serve both, right? So you probably might want to do something that can get that kind of consistent income that can still support the family mm-hmm. and still you do this on your side and, and, and get it done, right? So, yeah, so these are the two things that I would think of um, uh, to, for someone to start a business. Yeah. But of course, there's a lot of other things like, you know, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. And do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah. Right? So. But the first two that you feel is first, whether you're passionate about it and you got to think about your finance. I think a lot of like, I have a younger brother. He, he was been telling me like, oh, like I want to start this new fashion business. Like, what are you talking about? You're 18. No, <laughs> He's you like, can. You, you can. You I didn't can, say you can, but I was like, do you have the funds to buy materials and things like that? So like, oh, I haven't thought about that. I'll just buy it off. Of I was like, I, the more I questioned him, the more he was like, oh, this is not realistic yeah but if you can work out your math and if, and if, if you if you know that this can can work and, and you can go into a startup committee or vc or, or some angel investors or mm-hmm. business loans then why not right yeah. so just work out that stuff right yeah. uh, because at the end of the day if you have a family especially for those people who have a, a big family um you just want to make sure that you serve them <laughs> take care of them for as well. sure like responsibility right yeah. my yeah, man, getting old, responsibilities. And also, like, why you're doing what you're doing and the reason why you want to do it, right? Because a lot of people jump into this great business idea without looking at what the target market really needs and is there a market for it, actually. And then there are also people who come up with something. For them, it's great. But you know what? There's a lot of other people already doing it, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And do you have a brand for it? Or is that something else that you're trying to do? You know? yeah, so yeah. always do that evaluation, right? What's, so, your, what's that niche? Yeah, right? do your homework. That do that evaluation passion. first, you know, and then get into it. But a lot of, a lot of great ideas on country. Um, you know, I have, I've seen a lot of good, good business ideas just died off like that because of no cash. Mm. Um, and, and because people don't know where to start, you know, and they say, okay, I don't know how to do it. Oh, it's too tough. That, that discipline, the endurance and the perseverance of really seeing it through kind of dies off after a while, you know. So, um, yeah, just be, I mean, when I started many, many years back, there wasn't a startup support system like what we have today. Today, there's a lot of startup cultures there. There's a yeah. lot of companies that support startups. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of uh, grants and fundings and people who are available to, to mentor you. So, yeah, why not? It's, it's more, avail- more, more readily available, available yeah, today. Exactly. Right? The, yeah, exactly. The access. Yeah, yeah because there, there's a lot of new entrepreneurs now, which is also the spark of this, this yeah. whole series, right? Mm. Um, next question. Best thing about being an entrepreneur? Freedom. I can watch for this because I like my freedom. I like my time. I like um, to do what I want to do uh, and like doing. So I can go hour, hour on, on and off. And that's true, you know, like when you like something, you love something, you can just go hours and hours on that. Uh, so that's, that's what I like. I like my freedom and the, and the freedom to do what I like to do. I think that's like the, the pull for a lot of young people who think about entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, I get to be my own boss. I can do my own thing. But that leads me to my second question. What's the worst part about being an entrepreneur? Burnout. 
Um, so I think, you know, at some stage, you know, there's just a lot of things that you need to juggle. Uh, you need to keep pace with a lot of different things from your income tax to your finance accounts to your HR to your pay slips to your your product development to corporate development to staff management to everything, you know, sometimes. It's very, very tough to, to put a balance. Sometimes I just need to switch. My brain switches from A to B to C to B A to B and Z and, you know. So it's just that sometimes it's just so draining and... Um, Sometimes we are bootstrapped, we are very careful with, with, with finances, and then you know you just end up doing some stuff yourself. So, And everybody needs you there. Yeah. Um, your client needs you, your staff also needs you, your family also needs you, everybody needs you. You know. So I think you know, sometimes it's just tough, uh, so the burnout is real. That's funny. So like, the best part of being an entrepreneur is that you could choose what you want to do. The worst part about the entrepreneur thing is you got so much to do <laughs> that everyone needs you. But you get to at least choose who you want yeah, to deal with. Yeah, it's like I have to keep my energy level consistent throughout the day, right? So yeah. um, from my morning calls, it starts as, as early as 8 a.m. all the way up to 8, 9 p.m. sometimes because of the U.S. calls. Yeah. And then after that, the family needs you at about 6, 7 p.m. or, or even like ad hoc uh, in between that, that schedule. And, and you have to have that, you know, and my husband kind of, uh, he's in a different um, industry and he comes back very late. Mm. And I have to be with him, you know, for, uh, until 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Sometimes he sleeps late. So, you know, you have that number of hours and you got to keep your energy level for everybody, you know. So, so you know, uh, when, we, when we are young, it's different. When, as we age, it's different. So, yeah. Okay, so that's the hard part about the entrepreneur. Last question of this, uh, this segment. Um, what's, the next, what's the next big thing in business that you see that people should be aware about in the next decade? Good. Um, so I kind of looked at HR. I did say, uh, I think, 10 years back that HR is going to be all online. And it, it happened now. You know, But I'm not a strategist. I'm not a future strategist. Our, our last conversation was with Anna. Uh, uh -huh. and, and she does all the HR stuff, stuff and it's all online okay. business. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, but continue. Yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. So... So I think moving on for the next decade, of course, I'm not a, you know, I don't have the, the, the future ball, you know, the ball in front of me, but I just think that everything is going to go digital. Everything is going to be virtual. Um, the world is going to become more flatter than we, that we, we think. It's your competition is not in your next road or next building or, or, or something like that. It's all over the world. So it's like the global competitiveness is going to be very, very high. Um, digital... A lot of a lot of high-end technologies are going to come up, and you know, and and that's for real, yeah. you know. So, what is there to come up? I I don't know. A lot of self-serve is already happening, so there may be uh, limited things that we need humans for. And I think one thing that we probably may need is definitely compassion and human touch is definitely important. The brains that humans have will become more important. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what I think it is going to be like. Okay, nice. And so this is not part of the, the round sessions, but amazing, amazing insights, very quick from those quick fire questions. Uh, this is my last question of today's interview, um, and it's a little bit more of a broad question, but what are some words of wisdom you have for other people looking to start out their own business and venture? What have you learned through the experience? How can we conclude and sum up everything that we've talked about, and how can that information help someone else? Sure. So um, first thing first, 
be bold you know just come out with your ideas you know if you think there is a there is a market for what you're trying to serve and there is a market um, that will really really benefit from what you have to offer come forward you know the ecosystem is there available for you to support you uh, on your growth so just come forward with that you know don't 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 close close it you know I know a lot of people don't come forward you know just reach out for help and I'm and I'm happy to guide them to whatever there is yeah so it's like just just take that first step take that first step okay that's great advice yeah. all right Zenith I think uh, we're gonna call it there because we've been talking for a little bit more than an hour but <laughs> it has been amazing uh, getting to know you getting to know your story getting to know your business's story your opinions and thoughts about a lot of things um, and very glad you were able to come and make it to <laughs> this no, show. Thank you for, for call, uh, inviting me as well. But you see, th there's a thing. It doesn't have to be complex. It's, you know, nothing is that complex. You know, it's just like how to keep things as simple as it is. And uh, that's how it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Zenith. Hey, you made it to the end of the video. Now, I hope you found that insightful and entertaining because I know I did when I conducted the interview. Now, if you haven't done so already, we also exist on Facebook and LinkedIn. So do try and find our page and give us a follow so that you can keep up to date with anything new that's happening with us. Um, and until you see us in the next video or see me in the next video, I hope you have a great day and I wish you the best. Jikoi out. Peace.